I've been a piano tuner all my working life. I started with my brother-in-law in 1924, and then I joined McCullough's 56th Street in August 1933. There was a disastrous fire in Piggott's and Grafton Street in November 1967, and arising out of this, McCullough's took over Piggott's in 1968, and it became known as McCullough Piggott's as it is today. I retired on April the 5th, 1987, but in spite of being retired, I still keep my hand and ear in practice. I always get a good laugh when I tell where I was born. Everyone thinks I'm Dublin through and through, but actually I was born George Redmond on the 8th of October 1907 in Bantry in West Cork. My father was a ship's captain and with his wife he came to live in Bantry as the ship he was captain of plied between Bantry, Castletown Bear, Bear Island and Lengariff. I always look forward to the, to the summer holidays in those days because I spent most of my time aboard ship and uh, it was a great experience going to, to, the, to the different places around. We used to also go to Lengariff on occasions. I remember on one Saturday evening I went over to Lengariff with my father and Marion, who later became my wife, and uh, we went up the town. It was a lovely evening. We had a couple of hours up around the village and that. And to my great surprise, when we got on board to return to Bantry, he said, you take her back. I won't hide the fact that I was absolutely delighted because I could show off to my intended <laughs> of my prowess as a helmsman. The name of the boat was the Princess Bera, and my father didn't come on deck until we were coming into, into Bert and he, he took her over. It was a very pleasant experience and one i never forget. I left Bantry many, many years back, back in the 20s. And uh, my sister happened to be married to a piano tuner. And it was through that then I said I'd like to see what it was like not know whether I'd really settled into it or not. I loved doing the mechanical work, cabinet making, uh, anything to do with woodworking. And uh, I also went to the to the tech, doing cabinet working in, in Ballsbridge. While I liked doing action work, such as recovering hammers and keys and making parts, recentering and fitting up, I wasn't inclined to go take so much on to the, the tuning. But my brother-in-law, insisted because to be a complete tradesman one would need to do that so I gradually settled into it and to my surprise I began to like it you must have a really keen ear it's absolutely essential to have a keen ear otherwise it would be no good all the training in the world wouldn't make a good sure because we, we hear things you know that even the musicians don't hear beats and intervals and all that and dividing intervals. This is where the scale comes in. They're quite happy to come along and play it. 
but it's uh, it's it's the work of doing that, laying all that, laying the scale and working it out evenly. It's most essential. I would compare setting the scale in a piano to the keystone of a bridge. If that's perfectly put in place, you'll have a good bridge. If not, you won't. And so the same applies with the tuning of a piano. A tuner really puts the singing tone into a piano in, in, his, in his tuning and his manipulation of the intervals. And then when the tuning is finished, I have what, I, what is called my try-over. Everybody has their own little party piece, as it were, what we call the try-over for it. <coughs> I'll tell you a very amusing one about that. I was one day tuning in the RDS in Bards Bridge for none other than Arthur Rubenstein. He wasn't there at the time, so I tuned at the piano, and then I did my usual party piece, my try-over, and got it. And the voice behind me said, that's very nice, you play some more. <laughs> I turned around, it was Rubenstein. When I wished that a hole had come in the stage and I went down through it. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Oh, they were, he, he was a very nice man, very nice. for many years, all through the country, particularly in the west of Ireland, and uh, always on my own. It's a particular type of work, tuning that is, one has to work on their own. You, I, mean, I, I couldn't carry on a conversation with somebody, say on stage or, or in a room in a private house, because I, you just couldn't work, your concentration is broken. Or even, you dislike a person coming along to ask you something. With the best will in the world, they go and break your concentration, because uh, it, it's 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 very essential to uh, to be left alone in that. During the during the war years, it was it was re really tough going, because uh, you had two days a week trains, three days a week buses. The trains were <laughs> no that was known as tough. You were lucky if you got to your destination in the same day. It really was rough. I would often go away and stay away for five and six weeks without coming home at all. And uh, during the war years, making your, I'm, I'm, I missed the cycle to Ireland on a bicycle because uh, transport was so bad and so unreliable. I'd put a bicycle on the train, get off somewhere and 
walked the rest of the way on, maybe say from, from say or somewhere around that lawn, and go on to Valdis Lawn. Make my way on by bicycle, walk each town as I came along, and then on to, on to Galway, and out to Spittal, places like that. And many of the wetting I got to. I went to one institution. I used to do nearly all the convents and schools. I used to even go out to a place that the, the Christian brothers had out in Letterfrack, uh, a reformatory out there. But uh, Coilmore Abbey was another place. As a matter of fact, Coilmore was a grand, uh, really place to look forward to going to because uh, <laughs> they put you up for the noise and trees. It's in great style. Very good. It wasn't all plain sailing. Some of the places you stayed, you know, they were dire. But for the most part, I was very lucky. I, I had uh, friends to stay with most parts of the country. I used to stay with Mulholland's and Galway. That was, that was a home from home. And then a personal friend of mine who was still alive in, uh, in Balladerian, uh, Willie Feely, he's the organist in the cathedral there, Willie and I lifelong friends and when I would walk in that area I would stay in his house. Things like that, you know, made it worthwhile. Athlone wasn't the happiest place for my mother and father because in 1903, or it could be 1904, in or about that time anyway, there was an outbreak of Scarlatina, really an epidemic. Children were dying like flies. And in, in our family, my mother and father buried five boys within a week. I hadn't been born, of course, at the time. It was when they came to Bantry some years after that that I came along. But it was certainly very, very sad for them. We had an association, of course, with McCormick because my brother went to school with him that loan. They were, went to the Morris brothers and uh, many time I heard my father say he'd, uh, at, at that time he was, my father was in that loan he was at, co coming back from from being abroad and he went down to that loan for a while they, they started up what was known as the uh, Shannon Development Association which has small steamers and he was skipper of one of those and many a time he said he'd take John McCormick for a trip down maybe down to Drummondier or some of those places, you know. Uh, I met John McCormick. In fact, I travelled part of Ireland with him on what was, really was his final, uh, his final tour here. That was, yeah, that was 1938. And as a matter of fact, he autographed a programme for me, which I, I can show you, on my birthday. And... Uh, that was 1938, the 8th of October, 1938. I have that uh, cherished.
When I met him first, uh, we had a concert in uh, in the Theatre Royal, and a chap by the name of Saxby, Joseph Saxby, was his accompanist. He returned to London for a couple of weeks to give. I think it was the uh, in the Albert Hall. He was that's right. He was given a, a recital in the Albert Hall, and when he returned. Saxby wasn't with him, and we got Gerald Shanahan, the late Gerald Shanahan from Cork, and uh, he was he was absolutely delighted with Gerald Shanahan. He said he much preferred him actually. They they had a music shop in Cork years ago. In fact, I think there there's studies of Shanahan still there. But uh, we went to Cork and to Waterford. Uh, Wexford, uh, wait, let's see, uh, Tralee. As a matter of fact, we we put the we put the concert ground on the, the conveyance that we had, and, and we travelled through the night from Tralee to get to Wexford for the concert there. And uh, it was it was really hard slogging because. You'd no, you'd no mechanical means of ringing the piano other than lifting it bodily, get a number of men and into the van and away with it. it was only, matter of fact, it was only a, a, like a truck with a huge tarpaulin over it. It wasn't even a covered van. But he... He, uh, he, he was very, very particular about the places he'd go and ask me to make sure that there wasn't any drafts. I'd always go along and be there before him and see that everything would be what, what, what I would consider to be to his satisfaction. He could be, uh, 
uh, how how should he, he could he could be awkward. He could be very awkward at at at, at times, you know. I I when I, I I sat with him, I always sat with him backstage. Um, uh, had, the, had the little books ready for him. He always carried uh, these, for all the world, like prayer books, uh, black-bound books with the, the, the different songs. And, of course, I had the programme and became more famous the different things. I would always have the next book ready uh, and opened at the page of the next song or a couple of songs would be on part of it, that sort of thing. But he, he, even so... He, he he wasn't all that friendly. He wasn't the man that would open up to you know like so many other people that I knew. John Count McCormack rather than Count John McCormack. Yes, that was a papal honour he got after the Eucharistic Congress in the park in 1932. Yes. My wife Marion did, didn't play the piano. In fact, she didn't play any instrument, but she had a very nice voice. I played the piano on many occasions for her, and she sang. One of her favourites was the hills of Donegal, and indeed, the neighbours often remarked of her nice singing, because I don't think she ever put out a line of washing without, a, without an accompaniment of song. We had four in family, two boys and two girls. My eldest son, John, after leaving Sarton Westland Row, he didn't go into the business at all because, strangely, I, I, I never encouraged or discouraged them. I left them alone to do whatever they wanted to do. So he went off learning navigation with the, with the Irish ship and he was on the, on the Irish elder on our maiden voyage to, to South Africa. And we, we took it. We accepted it for granted. We said the salt water was breaking out in the family again. My own father hadn't been at sea all his life. But uh, after six or nine months, there was uh, oh, a very, very long seaman strike. And then he said he'd like to go try the business. I asked uh, Marty McCullough if he would t take him on into, into, uh, into the business for the tuning. And he did two, I think it was two years in the workshops. And after that, Mr. McConnor sent him to uh, the Polytechnic in London. He, he took a degree, which is rather a mouthful, Institute of Music and Instrument Technology. And uh, he, 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 he got his certificate in that. Then he returned to Dublin. Our other son, Kevin, when he left school, he uh, he went to work with, with Charles, the, the, the chemists, and he, he didn't fancy it. I think after about a year or so, he came to me one evening and said, he'd like to have a try at the piano tune. He said, God, so not another. <laughs> so <laughs> eventually I, se I sent him over myself over to the Polytechnic uh, where he, he did his studies. So... Gradually he got on and built up his own business. And his son, that's, uh, that's uh, Mark, Mark Redmond, uh, who incidentally play, plays piano quite well, is also now into, in, the, in the tuning. And of course, John, the, the elder, his son is John. He's distinguished by, by calling him Johnny.
So he's uh, he's in the business now a good number of years. So there won't be a there won't be a shortage of piano tuners in Ireland for the foreseeable future. In fact, Mark also composes music. A particular piece that I like, I like very much indeed, is this. I have uh, I've autographed programs of the RDS back to 1938 before the outbreak of the of the last war, and I have I have boxes of those at home. Uh, wait, let's see you now. Of course, I knew Rubenstein, and uh, I knew I, I, I had a very very personal friend in the, in the late Jacques Lyon, who was South American. Uh, I remember he took it on one occasion here, and he, uh, I took to some heart, minor heart attack he got, and he was taken to St. Michael's Hospital in Dunleary. And uh, I used to go out to see him every day when he was there. And I worked for him on th three or four occasions. Very, very good. I have a, <laughs> I have one of his programs, in which he referred to me as the angel of the piano. <laughs> yes, indeed. Just before the war, 19, 1939, the great Arthur Schnabel came to the RDS to give a piano recital. And he hadn't started very long, just getting, getting into a piece. And he had to stop. Because there were some ladies down in the front row uh, doing some knitting. So he, he admonished them before going on to, to continue his recital. Oh, strange things happen in, in, the, uh, in the RDS. I remember of an occasion when Helen Donath was there giving a song recital, and this incident didn't happen in front of an audience. As a matter of fact, it was in the, in the room, in the artist's room. I happened to come along about 15, 10 minutes before the concert was due to start. Just to, I had tuned the piano and that just to go and open it. But I went into the room 
and she had on a long black dress. And to my surprise, she asked me for an opinion. She said, do you like my dress? I said, yes, it's very nice. I said, but if I might venture an opinion, I said, I think it would be better without the belt, because it did have a belt on it. She said, oh, so she, she removed the belt. And then she discovered that there was a, a telltale or giveaway in the form of two loops, one either side of the dress. Oh, she said, that'd be obvious. Could we get rid of them? Oh, I said, yes. Uh, if you like, I'll take them off. Oh, would you? She said, so I produced uh, a penknife, small penknife, which I always carry. I even, even have it to the present day. And uh, she said, oh, you can't do that because the loops are right through to the inside of the dress. So she proceeded to lift up her dress while I was diligently removing the, the threads from the loop. So having completed that, we, re we uh, repeated on the, sec on the other side as well. So <laughs> everybody was quite happy after that. Sometime later, I met uh, Professor Anthony Hughes and he said to me, I believe you're a great man with a penknife. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> well, I met Arthur Rubenstein uh, again. As I said earlier, I had met him in, uh, I had met him in uh, the RDS concert hall. On this occasion, I met him in the, in the, the Theatre Royal. That was back in, back in 19, or oh, 1954. Uh, afternoon, afternoon recital, Saturday afternoon. I, I remember he had some, he had some little peculiarities, uh, Arthur Rubenstein. I noticed that before he went on stage, uh, he, he he would always stand stand erect and click his heels before he walked out. And he, of course, he had a great habit of uh, of going through his hair, using his hands, all that sort of thing, you know, tossing it around. But a, 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 a very, very nice man, a man, you felt very at home with him. O.G.A. Turby, I worked for him in different places. I was with him one time in, in, in the National Stadium, but on, on the particular occasion that I met him in, uh, in the Royal, I had some time, some time before that seen a film that he was in. He was in a few films, of course, but this particular one I remember well, Anchors Away, uh, Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly were, were in the picture, and at one part of the picture, he he was supposed to be rehearsed in the studio, and he took up a, a tuning lever, so we call them levers, and he uh, went through the motions of, of putting a note out and into tune again. So on the particular occasion that I met him, I asked him about it. <laughs> he laughed and he said, actually, he said, you know, that wasn't in the script at all. It was an idea of my own because he said, my father was a piano tuner and I used to go around with him. So, see, I got that little plug in. Yeah, he was a very nice man. It's starting about him that he, he had such small hands for a, for a pianist. He told me that actually, in, in, in playing, he would actually jump his octaves, you know, that his, his hands were... His fingers were so t the hand in general was tiny. He said, uh, as a young lad, his father used to used to bring him around the different places in Spain. Another haunting memory was Great Moor, 
at the Theatre Royal in 1947. On that particular occasion, she was very, very nervous, although she was a very experienced singer, both on stage and in films. But whatever it was, whether it was some premonition she had, she was very, very nervous. Charlie Wade, who was the stage manager at the time, asked me if I could get her to come on stage because it was long after the three o'clock starting time. So I went to her dressing room and explained to her. So she said, right, I'll come now. And she actually admitted that she was feeling nervous. And in the course of the concert itself, she uh, stopped in the midst of a song. She went wrong with, on, on the words and had to start again. But little anybody knew that they were here in Grace Moore for the very last time because on the following day, Sunday, the afternoon of the following day, she was killed in a plane crash. Yeah, I met Betty Amino Ajili in the Theatre Royal also. When Ajili came on stage to give his, uh, to give his concert, uh, the great Margaret Burke Sheridan was sitting in the wings. They provided her with a chair. He had no idea whatsoever that she was there. And when he came off stage in the interval, there was a wonderful concert to place at, 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 the, uh, at the back of the stage because they embraced and sang ar arias for, for, for must have been 20 or 25 minutes. The interval was supposed to last for 15 minutes, but I'd say it, it, was, it was nearer it was nearer 40 minutes by the time they were got back on stage. Indeed, it's a pity you hadn't got your microphones there. You would really got something worthwhile listening to.
Uh, attendances at those recitals. Marvellous. They were always on a Saturday afternoon, three o'clock Saturday afternoon. I, I was actually up in, in uh, Aris and Oaktron before, just before Christmas, up there tuning. They have a lovely uh, Steinway Grand there. So I was there tuning that. I used to do it regularly, like before I officially retired. Only, only uh, uh, some visitors would play. Only, only visitors, and, and they've had occasional concerts, you know, recitals in Aris and Uthran. My wife, Marion, she died in April of last year, the 12th of April, actually, last year, 1989. It's not easy, it's very lonely, particularly at night. I, I go out I go out a good deal and uh, I keep myself active. I go to football matches, particularly uh, I have uh, a number of uh, grandchildren who play the football. And I even have, my, my younger daughter still plays uh, football, both outdoor and, and, and indoor football. And uh, that gives me an interest and I like, I like the... Horse racing. I was very keen on horse racing all my life, and I still am. It's a great recreation. <laughs> you don't make money out of it. Don't anyone <laughs> tell you that you'll make money out of back on horses. But sure, it's great fun, and it gets you out into the air. And you be, again, there's a nice uh, social side to it as well, you know. With regard to like, my occupation as a, as a tuner, I have no regrets about that. I got a very good, very good life out of it. I enjoyed it. So one thing about it, as I said at the beginning, I was very slow to take to the tuning, and I never thought I'd get to the stage that I did. But once I got into it, I loved it. I'm 83 now. People say I don't look 73. As a matter of fact, I met a person recently that I hadn't seen for for a little while, and they said, you, you look marvellous, and I told them my age. They said, it couldn't be. You look more like 63. 
I don't know what it is, whether it's the contour of, of my face or what. That, that reminds me, when I was about 30 years of age, I was in Buntlody in the county Wexford. I was, used to go there to tune the pianos in the convent, uh, Faithful Companions of Jesus. And one evening, this, the, the Reverend Mother asked me would I tune a piano for uh, Dr Cantwell in the town. So I said, sure. So I had a meal. I always got a nice meal in the convent in the, in the evening time. So I made my way up to Dr Cantwell's and uh, knocked on the door and his housemaid opened the door to me and I said, the nuns have asked me to come and tune the piano for Dr Cantwell. So she left the door open and walked down a, a passageway, we say, down the hall. And the next I heard her, I heard her say to the, to the missus of the house, the lady of the house, uh, there's a boy at the door and he says he's been sent to tune the piano. Now, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if that was said to me in these days, but back at that particular time, I felt, I felt awfully insulted that I was taken for a boy, even though I was 30 years of age. My friend's name is Willie Handley, and we're going to America, to New Jersey, in November. He has a relation who was getting married. We've been, we've been invited to that. And we'll make sure to have a good time. I still drive a car. I went down to Bantry last September and we had a, we had a great time down there. We went down to Crookhaven, over to Glengariff, over to Garnish Island, and various places around like that. And we really enjoyed it. Welcome back to Van. 